Welcome! You're listening to Ron Swanson versus Dwight K. Schrute. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is Swanson versus Schrute, the season one finale. We are down a Ryer Smith today. However, we are up a Jackson Gannam. Jackson, a local expert on the office. He spent some time in California and New Jersey in recent months, but one thing has remained the same, his passion for Scranton, Pennsylvania. Jackson, it's great to have you on. I think local expert is a little bit too too ostentatious for my tastes, but you know, I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can to fill in. All right, when we say local, well, local to me, Jackson is the, all three guests that have recorded about the office, all actually hailing from New Jersey, whereas Rye recording in Maine. That's what I meant by local, but I mean, I'm sure you've been, you've probably been to Scranton before. I've, I've never set foot in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm deeply sorry if this ruins the podcast. Oh, uh, no, I think that makes it better because, you know, I don't think Michael Scott's ever been to the real Scranton, Pennsylvania either. He was just on Hollywood Scranton, which is very sad when you really look at it. But he wasn't in John America. Krasinski, though, has been to real Scranton. Jim has been to Scranton. That is, that is just, you know, that's what I needed to hear to get this thing going, Jackson. But we're, we're here right. today, and you know, we've covered topics such as the Wally and basketball, the basketball game and the picnic. But today, you know, we're, we're talking about relationships on the show. So before we start, and we're going to talk about the worst, are there any relationships that didn't happen on the show that you had hoped to see uh, at some point in the nine seasons? Mm-hmm. You know what? This is going to sound weird at first, I promise you. But the more you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You ready for the bombshell? Let's hear the bombshell. I wanted to see Andy Bernard and Kelly Kapoor. Uh, so is, is, did this go back to the episode where he gave everybody the cards and she thought that he liked her, but it turned no. out? It's, it's it's not like pure episode-based, right? It's just... They have similar interests. Right. Because, like, both of them talk about, like, celebrities, stuff like that all the time. Right? And right. then, you know, Kelly always has this, this goal of, like, settling down, having a bunch of children. Like, she tries to impose that on Ryan multiple times. Meanwhile, Andy's kind of always wanted that. Right? Like, Andy is very clear during the show that he wants to end up with somebody. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ryan's just kind of a tool. <laughs> Ryan is many things. You know, Ryan starts off as the guy with the unruly hair, fresh out of college. And actually, I think he was still in, I don't, I don't know, he, he was in grad, whatever it was. He was in business school at the time, getting an MBA. Yeah, he's getting his MBA, his hair is what it is, you know. And then they keep his hair the same in the intro, I think until season six, which is kind of a crime. But, you know, then he gets it short, and then he leaves, and he goes blonde, dyes it blonde, and then he gets glasses, and then he becomes this, like, oh, Clark Kent by day guy, and then he becomes an inventor, and then he gets a closet office, whatever it is. You know, I agree. You know, Ryan and Kelly will always be Ryan and Kelly or Kelly and Ryan, but I would have found interesting, Jackson. Similar mm-hmm. on the note of Andy here, what if when Jim was joking around before he was with Pam, talking to Andy about, you know, he was, like, you know, trying to – just play with him and joke that Pam likes this, Pam likes that. What if they had actually gone on a date? I would have loved to see what would have happened on an wow. Pam date. Cause you know, I've, I've never really considered that before, but um, 
There's this one episode where Pam and Andy go on a sales call together and they pretend to be married. Yep. It, I, it would seem kind of similar to that in my eyes, right? That was, that was you know, they, they were okay, but then as soon as they finished the call, things got very weak. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I believe Pam was pregnant at the time and they thought that it was his. And then it, whatever, I just thought one date, you know, in the early part of the show would have been really interesting. But And it could have served as like development for Pam too. Yeah, I mean, I would have. Like, it's, it's not like a relationship she's looking for at that point. It's just Jim. Yeah, it was always Jim. I mean, it, exactly. I, mean I don't understand how it took two whole seasons and a Jim leaving and Jim to just be like, I can't wait any longer. And then he's like, all right, bye, Roy. And like, okay. And then season three, oh, she gets with Roy. She was so confused. Yeah, well, she was confused because she actually did like him. She just wouldn't let herself want to like him. Fair. That is yeah. okay. Okay. And now we got some relationships that actually did happen. So we're going to talk about a few we didn't like. I'll go first, Jackson, with one. I'll pass to you. Sure. I think this is the worst relationship on the show. I think it happened by accident. There was no, I don't even, I think they kissed one. Andy and, and Angela. I mean, I just, I have no positive words to say. Angela was sleeping with Dwight the entire time they were together. I don't understand how you get engaged to somebody who haven't even kissed before. I mean, I don't understand what was going on. I know that he was just, he really wanted to be with somebody and he had that desperate, I got to date somebody. It's cuffing season, whatever. Okay, Andy. They didn't say that on the show, but we both know what he meant. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand how they even ended up together at all and why it took Andy, or, or why Andy put down non-refundable deposits on eight different honeymoon locations. That man is a classic I went to Cornell by accident, guy, if, if we look at how he planned situations out. I mean, what can, what can you say about Andy and Angela? You're not, you're not supposed to like them, right? But the more you think, I don't know. I, I don't hate it, hate it, like you do. But what do you like about it? Where, I know we're supposed to feel a certain way, but it doesn't always hit us all the same. So where's the positive? Neither one of them were better because they were with each other, and neither one of them... I mean, Andy was all romantic. Angela's like, shh. It's like, I, I don't... Yeah, but there's, there's moments where she genuinely likes him. Like, the whole time she was sleeping with Dwight, right? But even eventually, she, she chooses Andy over Dwight. After how long? Yeah, it's, it's been a while, right? But she clearly likes Andy to some degree. There's the ice sculpture that he brings her. Like, you know how in later seasons, Angela, like, starts dating the senator, and yep. she gets that whole personality trait of just, like, my boyfriend, the senator? Yep. That kind of has its roots in Andy Bernard, right? Because Andy's not a senator, but he's also white bread, comes from money, like, that kind of thing. She's an accountant, right? So he's, he's a pretty safe investment. I, but... The whole time she was with him, I think she was still thinking about Dwight, which is why they were together. It, physically, I don't think she wanted to, to be emotionally attached after what he did to Sprinkles. Hmm. But yeah. I don't, see, may, if Dwight never kills the cat, they never break up at all. The end of the show, which, which ever, we're not going to go into today because we're more so just talking about relationships, never has to happen as it does. But it's... they. Just, I don't, 
All right. Well, anyway. All right, Jackson. What's the relationship you did not like on the show then? That you want I mean, to I got to go with Michael and Jan easily. Michael and Jan are the, the definition of a toxic relationship. And I know you're not supposed to like them, but there is no point in the entire show, even when Jan uh, starts officially dating him, like they reported it to the company, everything along those lines. There's no point in the entire show where I'd think, yeah, you know what? These characters have a future together. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. And you know what I, what I thought was the most interesting, Jackson, in regards to that was the quote unquote love triangle that Michael thought he was in when Carol couldn't come to casino night. So he invited Jan and then they both end up showing up and he feels it's awkward when he actually has no relationship with Jan whatsoever. I think the reason it didn't work is because the whole relationship, and obviously it's toxic because she was awful and he couldn't stick up for himself and he couldn't make himself heard. It's awful because he had this whole idea in his head of this great love fantasy with his boss, Jan Levinson, no longer, no longer Gould, to be find out at the greatest client meeting ever. Mm -hmm. But then when it happened, I don't think he knew what to expect. And I think he just wanted to keep it going. So he was cool, cool and lenient about everything. And as soon as oh, she yeah. her job, I mean, it was, oh. God. Like, he has this expectation. He has this, I'm sleeping with my boss and that's cool kind of thing going. Especially, like, and he also, it, it demonstrates a lot of growth for Michael, right? Because, you know, he gets back with her because she gets the poop job. <laughs> like, there's no if ands, or buts about it. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, he, she takes off the shirt. He's like, oh. Uh-huh. And he had the whole meeting. He's like, all right, I'm done. She makes me feel, t oh, hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, I'd love to have, I'd love to live inside the mind of Michael Scott unnoticed for a day and just understand how things are seen. Just for a day. One more day, I'd probably lose my mind. But for that oh, one yeah, definitely. I don't know. Michael Scott's an enigma, but he means well, generally speaking. Like, right. Even at the root of his worst ideas is a really good idea. Like when he was going to propose to Holly with writing, I, uh, will you marry me in gasoline? <laughs> yeah. All right. That, that was very smart. You know, that's it, a little kernel of a good idea in that you're like going to marry Holly and that you want to have this huge message of love, but you know, maybe avoid lighting a fire in a parking lot near cars running on gasoline. Yeah, you know, for, for every Michael Scott idea, there's a Scott Michael idea that works a little bit better. Scott Michael, that's, your, that's what you're going with for his alter ego? Yeah, his alter ego, who's really him, but better understood. Yeah, you, you could have gone with, like, Michael Scarn. Oh, I mean, if we want to go real personality, I would go Michael Scarn, because the, uh, Threat Level Midnight. Michael Scarn's kind of like an idealized version of Michael. Michael writes himself as this character, especially... There's that one episode where they read the whole script and his love interest is just called Catherine Zeta Skarn, who he just continually keeps rejecting because Michael wants to see himself as that kind of powerful man. And it's Jan, too. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so another relationship I did not like, Jackson, which comes, I believe, with season six and seven. I don't know how it started or what was going on was Gabe and Aaron. I Ugh. mean, I, Gabe is also, Jackson, I don't, have we, I think we've talked, have you seen the league? Uh, the what? 
the league? You know the show about fantasy football? Nope, I have not. All right, well, uh, Gabe, Zach Lewis is, I don't, there's an episode where he wants, he, he feels depressed, and the whole episode's about him trying to commit suicide, but he writes this 15-page death note that he makes all of his friends read, and when they don't read it, he gets mad, and he has, like, this ticket to a Bears game that he hijacks, and he makes them read. And whatever it is, it just sounds like Gabe. I mean, it, it was a weird episode. Like, it wasn't even sad in any way because you knew he wasn't going to do it. But anyway, that's the kind of guy I think of this actor whenever I see him in anything. And Gabe is just He's typecast. He plays the same thing in every role. Yeah, he's this tall, awkward guy that no one respects. And then you have Aaron, who is this somewhat funny, somewhat I-don't-know-anything-about-anything receptionist. I don't know how they got together. They don't know how to plan movie night. When they had Glee night, they had all these different nights. I mean, she just wanted Michael to bomb with them, which she knew was never going to happen. Michael tries to be the hero by turning out the signal and then turning it back on. I, I, just, what's, I just didn't see anything good about this relationship. There's nothing to even add because it didn't seem very intimate, obviously. You, don't, you only know what you see on the show, but it didn't seem like there was much. And, I mean, she should have just picked Andy right away. Why was she even gay? Yeah. Well, right away, like in the in the debut episode of Aaron and Gabe, Aaron's just like, I wouldn't have said yes when he asked me out if he wasn't my boss. So the whole thing is just doomed to fail from the start, right? Right. There's no like, <laughs> there's no emotion there, clearly. The, the, the pairing just exists as like a comedic punchline of, oh yeah, they're dating. Yeah, every time Aaron dated somebody, it was always awkward for a long stretch before things could ever even have a semblance of normalcy. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. Three different times. Yeah, I mean, with Andy, it, like, never gets unawkward. Yeah. Uh, even especially, yeah, especially, like, I, I would consider myself a big fan of the show, right? And I couldn't even tell you how their relationship ended. <laughs> I actually do know, but I'm not going to – it goes – it doesn't happen until season nine. They're basically on and off for four seasons. I, I know about how it ends in season nine, right? Oh. But what, what I'm talking about is after they get together in maybe like – Season six? They get season six. Oh, Michael ruins it by uh, talking about his engagement to Angela at secretary lunch. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's weird. Got it. See, like that's not a note to end something on. <laughs> and then just Gabe comes along. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I would have liked to see the tech guy, Nick, have a bigger role than Gabe, but uh, what, can, what can you do? They just had so many tech guys. It was more or less just a carousel. The first guy was the best. I, I forgot what his name was, but M Michael, just, Michael, just didn't, Michael was just racist to him all the time, but he was a great tech guy. Yeah, that's the guy Michael keeps racially profiling. Yep. Yippee. <laughs> all right, but Jackson, what is your second uh, relationship that you look at and you cringe or you close your eyes, you just don't want to talk about much. So, I don't know if it's really like a relationship, right? But I hate Nellie and Toby. <laughs> it's so clearly not a relationship, but the fact that it exists makes me angry. Yeah, you got, uh, you got two characters that have the popularity level of the kid that's in math club for 12 years in elementary school, the high school combined with the person that just moved and doesn't know anybody yet. So they end up together. I look at Nellie as that I'm just going to hijack everybody's job and pretend like I belong. 
And you have Toby, who when Michael's gone is kind of a little cooler, but still just whenever he talks, he just goes in circles. He has no enthusiasm and he's so mumbly jumbly. He doesn't even do his job. It's like two people that don't know what kind of job they're doing that just exist in the office because we need people that we are supposed to dislike. And like that, entire, that entire plot line is just the writer saying, we need something to do with these characters. So let's just mash their faces together and call it a day. But you know what the, the, the weird part, Jackson, and, and what even started this, there's all these, you know, conspiracy theories. Oh, Toby's the, the Stranton Strangler. Totally true. But then wait, how does he end up? Oh, do you think the guy strangled him because he is in jail instead of him? And he yes. wants to clear that up? Yeah. <laughs> but what about when he was on but when he was on jury duty? Well, so I've read the theory before, right? I like it. I, I it's clearly not supposed to be canon, but the fact that you can make a reasonable argument that Toby could be the Stranton Strangler is what's so funny about it. Because the whole, the whole idea is that when Toby's on the jury, he's watching another man be tried for crimes that he's committed. And he has the opportunity to literally get out of jail free. Meaning that he could just send this guy to jail and continue on with his life. And so the next season or so is just him realizing and going through the guilt of there is an, uh, an innocent man in jail for what he did. So then he goes oh, to jail yeah. and then confesses. And then George Howard, what's his name, strangled George Howard him. Dub. Yeah, see? Man. And, and then it's because he gets strangled. Although, I don't, if he's not the real grand strangler, how could he be that effective with his strangling? I'll say that. There's the one loophole. But it's that he loses his ability to talk. And just like in. What show was it? There's a, there, wait, what? There was a, I don't know if it was a cartoon or a regular, it might've been Drake and Josh. I don't know. He starts dating somebody who doesn't have a voice because he thinks they're hot. And then when, or it was Drake and Josh, and I think, and then he finds out she can talk. And as soon as he hears her voice, he's like, oh no, what have I done? Because her voice is the worst thing he's ever heard. And she laughs like really high pitch and shrill every five seconds. That's I do not show. remember that plot line from Drake and Josh at all. Well, if it's not Drake and Josh, I just lied to everybody. So sorry well, about that. But it, I, it might have been Family Guy. I don't know what it, why. So, you know, sometimes like something comes to you and you don't have time to process or look up what it is. You got to kind of just roll with it. Yes. But it's in that stretch where, okay, Toby can't talk. Nellie doesn't want it to be awkward. I don't even know why she agreed to go with him in the first place. She probably just wanted to get out of working, yeah, to be honest. She was also a terrible ref at the paper airplane contest. That's for another time. She forgot to tell them there was a cash prize until the finals. I mean, yikes. Fair. But anyway. Well, she's, so, she's special projects manager, right? Uh, it, what is that? Like, what is that? What is the special projects manager? But, but you know, I'm not really sure. But anyway. I've never worked in an office that has a special projects manager, so I couldn't really tell you. Maybe I'll come to your office, Jackson. I'll ask for the role of uh, special projects manager tomorrow, and I'll see what they say. And then we can have a further discussion. All right. Well, I guarantee you they'll say no, but but you can try. I, I look forward to that. But okay. Anyway, that's how it happens. You know, no talking. So uh, 
Nelly just keeps popping questions and this and that. Okay. So we talked about ones we didn't like. And I'll quick honorable mention though, the senator with Angela and Oscar. Just honorable mention. I don't have much to say on it. Just that wow, mm. Angela, you uh you never had a kid with the senator because the senator is gay. And Oscar, why would you I thought you liked Angela and respected her. And also you should have been able to realize that as a senator, he needed to be able to have somebody on his side that was of a different race to look like he cared about diversity. Pretty easy to date senator. Yes. That's a very important distinction. Yes, but he is, I would not want him in this area. I'll just, I, I also hope I don't have to meet him either. I'm not a big fan. I didn't like him from the beginning. Something just seemed weird right when he met Angela. I don't know what it was, but the fact that they met at an event thrown by Dwight is just the nail on the coffin. My honorable mention, Aaron and Andy. I hate it. <laughs> you hate it? Yeah, I never like it, especially near the end of the show where they basically just transform Andy into this awful person. Yeah, okay. That is – I respect – okay. Yeah, he uh, is – he wanted this romantic gesture the whole time. He couldn't do it, and then things got awkward because he couldn't do it, and he stuck with his guns. Jackson, that's like if you or me wanted to ask someone out at the office, right? And we know them pretty well, and we think they'll probably say yes, but we want to be cool. So it's like, ooh, let me get uh, 12 packages of alphabet cookies from the vending machine and lay them out in writing but they only have six packages left, right? We don't have enough letters to spell it out. Instead of just coming up with a plan B, we have to, make, we have to go to them and say, fill up the machine. Or we have to go to the, the, the closest dollar store and go buy the cookies or the crackers. Andy, the fax machine was broken and Andy wouldn't just do it any other way. And that's where you knew right away that if he couldn't just think consciously, he had to do this gesture. And as it, like she was expecting it. And because the gesture fell through, it made things awkward. Just like that. That's a really roundabout metaphor. But yeah, I get, I get what you're talking about. I guess they just go through this period of not being on the same page. And that really kills them. Especially in season eight when Andy pulls that drive down to Florida. Just to, yeah. just to go get her without really having a plan. And then he dumps that girl on the way back that was like kind of perfect for him. Yeah, I agree. He was, yeah. he was good with Jessica. And then he's like, he was gay. And, and then it's like super duper honest. Okay, you, you have to go back during a, a, ba- a bachelorette party, I think it was. It's, what a. Yeah, he dumps her. It's, it's really bad. That I, was a, such a cringe scene, but I feel bad because Jessica's like a good person. Yeah, and I also think, if I'm not wrong, Aaron kept trying to find a different guy to make uh, Andy jealous with. I think she ended up with like Kevin and Dwight at Robert California's pool party. Yeah, I forgot about that, but that's true. All right. I forget about a lot of what happens during season eight because it's the season I've rewatched the least. Yeah, I, I've seen it a few times. I don't love the parts in Tallahassee. I like that Packer gets some bad stuff that happens to him. Not terrible, but bad. Right, anyway, I actually disagree. You disagree. My favorite part of season eight is Tallahassee. Eh. I mean, I like that that Dwight pushed through having to go to the hospital to give his presentation, but... I just like... Because a lot of season eight is like, there's not a plot. There's not an overarching thing. There's like a doomsday device that exists in one episode. Yep. 
there's a pool party like it doesn't have any narrative or it doesn't know where it's going and this episode stretch actually brings through a lot of important narratives at least because you have a real plot you have Jim trying to resist the advances of Kathy you have Stanley going on a legitimate just binge you have Dwight realizing paternity it's it's like I actually like the arc it's clever it's creative and David Wallace apparently is a huge millionaire because his son cre- uh, got, got the patent from the military for Suck It. Yeah, see, like, that's the kind of plot line that makes season eight bad. The pl- I, kind of plot lines that make season eight parts of it good are where they go to Tallahassee, and there's that whole thing. Yeah. I really like that part. Well, I don't really like it, because if you put it in any other season, it wouldn't be as good. But I, I, it's just refreshing for me that there's actually something like it. All right, that, that's fair. But I will say, Kathy, I thought it was terrible. The, the whole thing where they tried to get Jim and the, before they left to admit that she's hot and when he wouldn't, there was this whole big thing. Like, it really wasn't a big deal. And then my only part of this that I liked with her was Jim brought in Dwight to run interference, and he was just going ham on, on uh, getting her and just making life terrible for her. That part was great. Mm-hmm. But all right, so we talked about bad relationships, Jackson, and we could talk about good relationships. We could, or, you know, we jump right in, we talk about our man, Daryl Philbin. Daryl Philbin? And I I just want to say, first and foremost, Jackson, is, you know, we all get this question a lot. Who's your favorite character on The Office? And it's always, oh, Michael, oh, Jim, Pam, Kevin, Dwight, wait. Where's the love for Daryl? My one, my friend Dylan, Dylan came on the show on episode two, the first one we did on The Office, and we had spoken, we spoken about this before off the air, and you know, he says Daryl's his guy, and I respect that completely, although I never would have thought of it. I mean, Daryl is smooth, you know, Daryl tries to hook Oscar up with Matt, you know, at, yeah. the, at the bar, he, you know, he's, uh, he's just, he's always there, you know, he tried to console Michael after he had to drive her and Holly all the way up to Nashua when she got relocated, he was... He's got the band going for him. No, he, he's just this hilarious guy that's always playing these smooth pranks on Andy and Michael. You know, he's teaching him, you know, slang, you know, to talk, to try and talk gangster. And he was just making all this stuff up. You know, he, he scared Michael into saying that the basketball game was just, uh, it's a joke. No one, that they're going to go in Saturday. There's just so many things to love. And it's great, you know, when, what's the name of the boss of Sabre? Robert California. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, the, the, she comes from Tallahassee. Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett. Joe finally gives Daryl the respect he deserved from the show for five prior seasons, and I loved when he got the upstairs office. That's when it got great, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, and that's when Daryl becomes less of, like, a side character and more of, like, someone that's actually fully realized because he's in most of the shots at that point. Yeah, because we knew him – as the guy that was dating Kelly, Kelly couldn't have Ryan. So she's like, let me just have Daryl. I think they yeah. See, Daryl's like a bit part before that. Daryl only comes on when it's like they need someone to drive Michael up. They need someone to be the warehouse foreman. They need someone to act as like a romantic interest for Kelly while Ryan's gone, basically. Yeah. When they move Daryl upstairs, he becomes more of a central plot in a lot of storylines. And he like kind of fully realizes himself, but that takes a little bit a little bit of time. 
And another interesting Daryl part that I want to touch on here, Jackson, it's the end of season six when they find out that the printers sometimes explode. Daryl filming Andy not knowing that that was going to explode. And then I think the video leaked. So Daryl was a huge part of the season six controversy that takes us to season seven. Mm -hmm. That's true. And that's like one of the first storylines he's at the forefront of. He's not like an accessory to a storyline. Because you could, you could say he's there for Michael and Holly's breakup, right? But he's not the main guy. He's, he's just the side character there. He just comes into his own. Yeah, see, exactly. And another part, I'm going to go right to season eight. And uh, this is interesting. I think it's more important for the character of Daryl than, than it might seem on the surface. You remember, you know, every season, and a lot of shows copied this, you know, they have the Halloween episodes, so everyone comes in costumes. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really know how, even after this long, we didn't know how close he was with the guys upstairs because there's all these issues with the warehouse when they all win the lottery and they have to get all new guys in season eight and then that carries into season nine. The old guys come back. We know he deals with them. And he really didn't, we didn't know that he had good friends upstairs. And we know one thing that Jim Halpert's always been a big sports fan, although in the show, obviously real John Krasinski is, but we don't hear much about it. We know that in season eight, Kevin, who apparently is a big sports fan, I didn't know, obviously gets his sports bar later in the show. Kevin, Daryl, and Jim dresses the Miami Heat big three, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. I think that basically shows, okay, he's just one of the guys now. Yeah, right? I mean, he's always been kind of close with Jim. I don't exactly know when that started, but, like, they have similar interests. It makes sense. But I will say, though, Jackson, this isn't a spoiler. When him and Jim become roommates, that might be one of the worst roommate pairings I've ever seen on a TV show. Yeah. It, it's not that whole – I don't know. I don't really like the whole Philadelphia plot line, especially a lot of what season nine does. But, you know, Daryl becomes a lot more developed. Daryl, like, finally has someone to recognize his talents. Because Joe, Joe brings him to the upstairs office, right? But even after that, it's clear that he's meant for more. Because he, in that episode where uh, the, the warehouse crew wins the lottery, right? Daryl is all upset because he wanted to, he's just stuck here while they've all won the lottery, right? He wants to be more. And so it, it really plays on Daryl's ambitions. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. And then you, you talk about the Jim Daryl dynamic. It's interesting because, you know, at first, you know, it's all cool. It's all good. But then Daryl thinks he's being led on to take Jim a while to finally bring him in. And I, I really didn't like that. Philly just brings out the worst in, in everybody involved. I mean, yeah, you know, we're not, we don't need to get into We're not going to spoil anything big, but, you know, the – Basically, every couple on the show that's still around is starting to really beef because of what's happening, you know, the back and forth. And you, you just, there's so much disconnect across really everything because, like, the once Andy goes and, and who really was the boss, right? That's that just the everything, or, the, or am I in the wrong season here? Who, who was the boss in season nine when Andy leaves? Um, it's, it goes back to Andy. Right, and then it goes back, but then he leaves on the boat, and then... And then it's nobody. Oh, right, so that was one, right? And then they start changing the intro, and it's uh, Creed, and then it's... Uh, no, so that's in season seven. It is season seven. That's the first time. So Michael leaves, right? Then it's Will Ferrell, and then it's nobody for a little bit, and then it's Andy in eight, 
and then Andy gets taken out in what's basically a coup. Then it's Nellie. Then David Wallace buys the company and reinstalls Andy. And then it's Andy again. And then Andy is terrible and gets fired. And then Dwight takes over. No, he didn't get fired till the end of the season, though. He was on the boat. Yeah, but remember, David Wallace doesn't know he's on the boat. Oh, so he was. So they had no manager. Exactly. They oh, had no manager. Under, only a, I really would love to know what Dunder Mifflin looks like seven years after the completion of filming. Like, who's in charge? Is Creed still in jail? You know, there's so many different things to look at. I mean, I'd assume Dwight is still in charge because Dwight is just going to die there, basically. And then Creed will be in jail forever because there's a lot of shady things he's done. But, like, none of that was specifically mentioned. It's just you get this implication that Creed has, like, been in cults. Yeah, and I, you know what I wonder is, you know, we know we know the character of Creed well. How much of what Creed did on the show do you think was in real life? Because you know he, he all of his lines were improv. I wonder if he was just drawing on real experience. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. That's why my Creed's my favorite character. I do remember when we were talking. We we I think we we had gone out for sushi. Jackson and we were talking about the office for the first time so I didn't want to ask you anything before I got too deep into the show this was I was early like I know this because I didn't know that Steve Carell's wife was on the show yet because she wasn't yeah and anyway we were talking I think you told me right then and there that Creed's your guy so I'd watch my guy and he's just he's he's a great character I mean there's just there's nothing to dislike other than his smell which we can't actually smell through the screen Mm -hmm. luckily He's quite the guy. I mean, Creed Bratton, what, what, what can we say? I mean, there's nothing really more to be said. Creed's just there to be like, wait, what, what is this guy exactly? <laughs> All right, Jackson. So closing notes here. I uh, just want to talk about one thing here is that in addition to being the guy that's always gunning for the manager position at Dunder Mifflin, Dwight Schrute, Dwight K. Schrute, I should say, has done many things. You know, he bought the, 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 the part, the area downstairs, turned it into an expensive cafe. You know, he was an honorary uh, deputy. And he's a karate master. He literally does his, he brings a sensei to the place that matters most to him, which mm-hmm. is a weird feel-good moment that he's getting like a karate honor in a workplace in the middle of the day. The sensei's like, no, call me Billy. Like, oh, he... <laughs> That's how you know how silly it is. But overall thoughts as we take uh, season one of Swanson versus Schrute to the end, thoughts on Dwight Schrute when he's not working and what kind of guy you think he is? Uh, I think Dwight, when he's not working, can best be described as hardworking, alpha male, jackhammer, merciless. Yeah, yeah. That's all I got. All four of those words basically sum up exactly who he is. You know, he, he's as loyal as it gets, even blindly in some cases. He always comes to Michael's defense no matter what's going on. Him and Michael have this oddly close friendship, even though it's clearly very one-sided. Michael mm-hmm. sees him as the assistant even out of the office. Dwight's like, I'm, that's my guy. But, you know, you, and then he goes to Staples and he works with, uh, with Helen from Drake and Josh for an episode. You know, he, uh, he, he really lives a great life on that show, even though he should probably have bigger ambitions. 
I mean, he owns his own hundred something acre beef farm. That is true. We find out in season two about the real the realness of Shrewd Farm. Mm-hmm. All right. So final final question here for you, Jackson, as we wrap up season one. If you had to go on a haunted hayride, would you go to any farm you've ever been to now, or would you go to Shrewd Farms? And Shrewd Farms, one hundred percent. I don't think I've been to that many farms though. So. Is there a special reason why Shrew Farms wins over a more familiar farm? Well, I, I would like to actually go to Shrew Farms. That'd be fun. And so assuming that it is a real place I could explore, I would love to see it. I want to see all of the places. Uh, you know, I, I respect that. Uh, okay. I respect that. Okay. Although I will say that I will never get married at Shrew Farms. I don't think anyone should. Uh, there was almost a wedding. There was a fake, there was a setup wedding wedding, which was pretty genius by Dwight, to be honest with you. Although. That was not pretty genius. It loses him Angela. Well, he had already, it lost him the physical Angela. He, Angela was lost to him so long before then. I, I mean, remember she's like, before he reveals that they're already married because of this German ceremony, she was like, Dwight, fail, standing up here with you just felt so right. Like, that's all he had to do. He ruined it. Eh. Okay. It is what it is. But, you know, Jackson, I want to say it's been great having you on to talk about The Office and to hear you give all your takes. It's been great being on. Thanks a lot, Zach. All right. So for Jackson Gannam and our co-host, Ryer Smith, who will be back for Season 2, Episode 1, date to be announced. I am Zach Weiss. Thank you all for listening to the six episodes of the first season of Swanson vs. Shrewd, dedicated to Parks and Rec and The Office in their six-episode seasons. What to expect for season two? We'll be doing a comparison of The Office UK season one versus The Office US season one. I'll start to do more direct comparisons of The Office versus Parks and Rec as Ryer finally starts to progress in The Office. But that'll do it for us here. We will see you later.